Agatha Christie was sitting quietly on the train when she overheard a stranger saying her name. In the same carriage, she said, were two women discussing me, both with copies of my paperback editions on their knees. The ladies had no idea of the identity of their matronly, middle-aged fellow passenger and proceeded to discuss the most famous author in the world. I hear, said one of the ladies, she drinks like a fish. I love this story because it sums up so much about Agatha Christie's life. Firstly, she told the anecdote in an interview published to celebrate her 80th birthday in 1970. What a long and tumultuous life she'd had. She was born into a luxurious, late Victorian world. Her family had inherited wealth, a house with a ballroom, and domestic staff galore. All this would be lost, leaving Agatha to earn her own living. Her eight decades also took her through two world wars, the decline of the British Empire, and nearly a century of violent social change. She'd chart all this in her 80 books. They're not just addictive entertainment, they're also a marvellous resource for the historian. Secondly, There's the fact that both ladies on the train had Agatha Christie paperbacks. Of course they did. She was simply ubiquitous, especially in the post-war period when a Christie for Christmas became an annual ritual. Christie is the best-selling author after Shakespeare and the Bible, so the cliché runs. What interests me, though, is the fact that not only does she hold that position, but holds it as a woman. And she wasn't just a novelist either. She also remains history's most performed female playwright. She was so successful, people think of her as an institution, not as a breaker of new ground. But she was both. Thirdly, the misconceptions. There are so many of them. To go back to the ladies on the train, far from drinking like a fish, Agatha was in fact teetotal. She didn't enjoy wine, and her favourite drink was a glass of neat cream. But the ladies assumed the writer must be addicted, damaged, unhappy. And then, in the railway carriage, there's also the watchful presence of Agatha herself. Present but unnoticed. She was using life for her art. This particular incident, a novelist overhearing herself described as a drinker, made its way into Agatha's novel, Dead Man's Folly, when it happens to her fictional alter ego, the detective novelist Mrs Ariadne Oliver. The scene also contains an essential truth about Agatha Christie as a person. Yes, she was easy to overlook as is the case with nearly any woman past middle age. But Agatha deliberately played upon the fact that she seemed so ordinary. It was a public image she carefully crafted to conceal her real self. If the two ladies on the train had asked her name, she wouldn't even have said Agatha Christie. She'd have answered to Mrs Mallowan the name she'd taken from the archaeologist, 14 years younger than herself, to whom she'd made an impetuous marriage. If asked her profession, she'd have said she had none. When an official form required her to put down what she did, the woman who's estimated to have sold two billion copies always wrote, housewife. 
And despite her gigantic success, she retained her perspective as an outsider and onlooker. She sidestepped a world that tried to define her. In this book, I'd like to explore why Agatha Christie spent her life pretending to be ordinary, when in fact she was breaking boundaries. Nobody in the world, she once said, was more inadequate to act the heroine than I was. Her view was partly her own extreme modesty, but it also had much to do with the world into which she was born, with its imperatives about what women could and couldn't do. This is a biography with a historical bent, the life of a woman whose story intertwines with that of the 20th century. When I told people I was writing about Agatha Christie, their first questions were often about the 11 dramatic days in 1926 when she disappeared, causing a nationwide hunt for her corpse. It's often been claimed she went into hiding in order to frame her husband for her murder. Was this true? It's frequently said that Agatha remained silent about this notorious incident for the rest of her life, but that's incorrect. I've pieced together the surprising number of statements she did in fact make about it, and looking at them carefully, I believe much of the so-called mystery melts away. Agatha shattered the 20th century's rules for women. Females of her generation and social class were supposed to be slender, earn nothing, blindly adore their numerous children and constantly give themselves to others. The only one of these Agatha completely fulfilled is the last. She did give the best of herself, her industry, her creativity, her occasional genius to her readers. No wonder they still love her for it. These days we don't need to put women on pedestals. And that means we have to face the fact that somewhere in the mass of contradictions making up Agatha Christie was a very dark heart. It's not just that she could dream up stories in which even children can kill. It's also that her work contains views on race and class that are unacceptable today. But that doesn't mean we should tut-tut and look away. This matters because Agatha Christie's writing has become a sort of shorthand for a typically English view of the world. The prejudices of her class and time, often revealed in her fiction, are part of the history of 20th century Britain. And despite the surface conservatism of her work, I also believe that Agatha was quietly changing her readers' perceptions of the world in a positive way. Her stories show that a short, effeminate, uh, foreigner, with a funny name, can beat evil using brains not brawn. That even a fluttery old lady can bring nemesis to the wrongdoer. And that childless singletons, both Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple are unmarried, don't need a conventional family around them to thrive. Finally, I want to make it clear that Christie to her first readers wasn't nostalgic or anything to do with heritage. In my childhood, I used to watch cosy, cleaned-up versions of her stories on television. But the original novels were a product of a 20th century that had broken with the past. Christie herself lived a modern life. She went surfing in Hawaii. 
She loved fast cars. She was intrigued by the new science of psychology. And when her novels were published, they were thrillingly, scintillatingly modern too. In this book, we're going to meet one of the great writers of the 20th century, someone who's constantly disparaged and consistently misunderstood, whose towering achievements are almost hidden in plain sight. But first, let's go back to the beginning to meet a little girl with flaxen hair. <laughs> 